Questions to the Prime Minister. Simon Hoare. Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in offering our best wishes to His Royal Highness Prince Harry and Meghan Markle on their wedding this Saturday and the very best for their future lives together. And, Mr. Speaker, it is also Mental Health Awareness Week, and I think it is fitting that we mark Prince Harry's tireless work to raise awareness of the ongoing challenges faced by service personnel making the transition to civilian life, including support for their mental health. And, Mr. Speaker, may I say how appropriate it is for this House to have recognised the bravery and hard work of PC Jonathan Wright and PC Craig Nichols in apprehending the killer of Joe Cox. When Joe Cox was killed, this House lost one of its best. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Simon Hall. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Animal welfare and environmental standards are clearly key for British agriculture. But could I ask my right honourable friend to reassure UK farmers that food security and food production will be recognised and at the heart of future UK agriculture policy. Uh, Can I say to my honourable friend that he does raise uh, an important point. He's absolutely right to do so. As he will know, as we leave the European Union, we will have the opportunity to deliver a farming policy which works for the whole industry. And that's why we're asking for the views of everyone involved with an interest to develop a policy that reflects the reality of life for food producers and farmers, the opportunity to improve our farmed environment, and the issues my honourable friend raises. And our food has a great reputation, a very high reputation for the quality that's been built on high animal welfare standards, on strong environmental protections and on the dedication of farmers and growers right across this country. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker, and thank you for welcoming PC Wright and PC Nichols to this chamber today. They did great work, as as indeed police officers do all over the country, and it's right that you should recognise them on behalf of all of us. It is uh, Mental Health Awareness Week this week, Mr Speaker, and I join the Prime Minister in wishing Harry and Meghan all the best and thank Harry for the work that he's done in highlighting the need to challenge the stigma surrounding mental health and the ability of all of us to talk about mental health to ensure that people don't suffer in silence on their own, particularly young people who are often so grievously affected by this. Uh, Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister wrote at the weekend that she wanted as little friction as possible, was she talking about EU trade or the next Cabinet meeting? Honourable gentleman knows full well that this government has a policy of leaving the customs union, of leaving the customs union, of leaving the customs union, and of ensuring that, as we do so, we have as frictionless trade as possible with the EU. That we have uh, a solution which ensures we have no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and also and also that we have an independent trade policy. But if he's talking talking about friction, perhaps he could reflect on the fact 
that this month the Shadow Health Minister in the Lords voted for a second referendum, that, that at the weekend the Shadow Brexit Secretary refused to rule out a second referendum, and on Monday the Shadow International Development Minister tweeted in favour of a second referendum. So perhaps when he stands up he could put the minds of the British people and this House at rest and rule out a second referendum. Mr. Speaker, the, Mr. Speaker, the divisions in the Cabinet mean there's been no progress in negotiations for five months. The reality is the Cabinet is more interested in negotiating with each other than it is with the European Union. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's promise of as little friction as possible is in stark contrast with the earlier commitment that it would be friction-free. So could the Prime Minister explain how much friction she is willing to accept? <laughs> Businesses and workers in those companies need to know. To the right honourable gentleman, that we want to we want to ensure that we are able to continue to trade in as frictionless a way as possible. And the suggestion, no, the suggestion, the suggestion that trade at the moment is entirely frictionless is actually not correct. But we have set we have set three very simple objectives for a future customs union. Now, I will say to this House that achieving those objectives, which I have just set out, is not, is not easy. It is difficult. There will be some who will say, actually, forget about an independent trade policy. That is not the position of this Government. There may be some who say, don't worry about the Northern Irish border. That is not the position of this Government. It is, it is, ab it is absolutely right that we are aiming to achieve those three objectives. And when he talks about progress, we'll be publishing a white paper in a few weeks which will show how much progress we are making on these issues. Well, Mr Speaker, they're no nearer to agreeing a white paper than they are on the strategy for going forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would remind the Prime Minister that the UK is the slowest of all major economies and slower than the Eurozone in growth as a whole. The uncertainty and recklessness of government is putting jobs and investment at risk. Last week, Airbus confirmed their space contract will move abroad post-Brexit. And the company has gone on to say it's considering its overall position in the UK because of the government's complete lack of clarity. How many other businesses have warned the Prime Minister that they too are considering their future in this country? The Right Honourable Gentleman talks about... The Right Honourable Gentleman talks about preparations in the negotiations in the White Paper. Let's just remember what his position was. His position... His position... His... His position was that we should have triggered Article 50 immediately after the referendum. With no work having been done in preparation for the negotiations, he wouldn't even have had a white page, let alone a white paper, to base his negotiations on. And what would that have led to? What Labour do every time in government, they'd have sold Britain out. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn! 
the problem, the problem is, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister's own position even, isn't even supported by her cabinet. Rolls-Royce have said, Mr. Speaker, Rolls-Royce, we're worried about border checks. We need to be thoughtful and careful about future investments. Ford, any sort of border restrictions and customs friction is going to be an inhibitor to us continuing. Vauxhall, we cannot continue to invest in a world of uncertainty. Mr Speaker, businesses are understandably frustrated by this government. This week, the Environment Secretary gave his view on the Prime Minister's preferred customs partnership model. He said there have to be significant question marks over the deliverability of it on time, as it has flaws. Well, at least he didn't call it crazy, like the Foreign Secretary. But, Mr Speaker... If the Prime Minister cannot even convince her own Cabinet of her strategy, what chance does she have of convincing 27 other European countries? to the right honourable gentleman that he has taken this view of our position in negotiations before. Before December he said we wouldn't get a joint report and we did. Before March he said we wouldn't get an implementation period and we did. And we continue to negotiate. But if he's asking about what British businesses are doing, I'll tell him what British businesses are doing. They're creating more jobs in this country. So we now have record levels of employment in this country. What did we see under Labour? Half a million more people unemployed. Because Labour governments always leave office with more people out of work than when they went in. Jeremy Corbyn! Can I congratulate the Prime Minister on record numbers of zero-hours contracts, record numbers of people in in in-work poverty, and a record of wages lower today than they were ten years ago? And can I also congratulate the Prime Minister on formally dividing her Cabinet into rival camps, as if it needed doing, to look at two different models. And as a a process, Mr Speaker, of... uh, As a process, Mr Speaker, of parliamentary scrutiny, I hope both subcommittees will be reporting directly to this House so we can all make up our minds on the rival factions in our own Cabinet. Mr Speaker, whilst her government dithers, the Dutch government has now begun training the first batch of extra customs officials to deal with the reintroduction of customs checks for British goods at Dutch borders. In October, the Prime Minister's official spokesperson said HMRC... Order! Order! The Right Honourable Gentleman will complete his question more quickly if members don't shout for... Order! Order! Mr Clark, I don't require your assistance. You're an amiable enough fellow, but no assistance by the Chair from you is required. I want to accommodate backbenchers, and I will do so today, as I always do. I'm concerned about people who want to ask questions. If people don't want to ask questions, shush and listen. And if you do want to ask questions, you'd certainly better keep stum. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's a very straightforward question. How many HMRC additional staff have been recruited in order to deal with Brexit? Yeah. Yeah. 
Prime Minister. To the right honourable gentleman, as he knows, we are indeed making preparations for all contingencies. The Chancellor of the Exchequer has announced money which has been allocated to departments to make those necessary preparations. But can I just correct him on what he said at the beginning of his uh, at the beginning of his question? Because at the beginning of his question, he referred to zero hours contracts. In fact, if we look at the increase in employment, almost two thirds of the rise in employment in the last year has been from full time work. Over three quarters of the growth in employment since 2010 has been in full time work, and around 70% of the rise in employment since 2010 has come from high skilled work. So perhaps when he stands up, he will, he will welcome the jobs that have been created under this government. Mr Speaker, the question I asked the Prime Minister was how many more HMRC officials have been recruited. She hasn't answered it. Can I help her to say that the claims that they're recruiting more won't even make up for the cuts made in the last eight years? It seems that the Dutch government is more prepared for dealing with Brexit than the British government is. Mr Speaker, we've had 23 months since the referendum. We have just 10 months to complete negotiations, and the government is in complete disarray. Yep. On both sides of the negotiations, yep. the reality is dawning that deadlines are at risk of not being met. Yes. More and more jobs are at risk as more and more businesses openly consider the options of relocating their jobs elsewhere. The government is so busy, so busy negotiating with itself, it cannot negotiate with anybody else. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister cannot negotiate a good deal for Britain, why doesn't she step aside and let Labour negotiate a comprehensive new customs union and living standards backed by trade unions and business in this country? Step aside and make for the Mr Speaker, what we have seen under this government is more jobs being created, more high-paid jobs being created. Uh, we have seen us delivering on our December joint report on Brexit and on a March report with the implementation period. But let's actually look to see what we would see from the Labour Party, because from Labour you simply cannot trust a word that they say. They said they'd strike new trade deals, but what do they want? They want to be in a customs union that ensures they could not strike new trade deals. Promise broken. They said that they would scrap student debt, yet after the election they went back on that. Promise broken. They said they would tackle anti-Semitism. Promise broken. It is only the Conservative Party that can be trusted by the British people to deliver a Brexit that is in the interests of British people, to deliver opportunity for all and a Britain that is fit for the future. Great Tracy! Thank you, uh, Mr Yesterday we had the fantastic news that real wages are rising, which combined with the threshold uh, where people begin to pay their tax will mean that people in North Warwickshire and Bedworth keeping more of the money they earn and having more money in their pockets. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming this good news and agree with me that we need to keep backing our workers and great local businesses to deliver even more well-paid jobs? 
say to my honourable friend, I'm very happy to join with him in welcoming the good economic news, not just of more people in employment, but that real wages are up. And I note that when I challenged him to do so, the leader of the opposition was unwilling to welcome the number of jobs that have been created in this country that mean there are more people with a regular income to look after their families. And with, uh, with the news that real wages are up, as my honourable friend says, that means more money in people's pockets under the Conservatives. In Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House would wish to join me in wish uh, Ramadan Mubarak to all Muslims who are preparing to start the month of Ramadan today. Mr Speaker, last night the Scottish Parliament voted by 93 votes to 30, refusing to consent to the withdrawal bill. The Scottish National Party, the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats and the Greens all voted to refuse consent. The Conservatives are isolated and out of touch with the people of Scotland. Will the Prime Minister respect the will of the Scottish Parliament and work with the Scottish Government to amend the withdrawal bill? I say to the right honourable gentleman, we have been working with the Scottish Government for some time now, as we have been working with the Welsh Government on this issue. First of all, um, decisions that the devolved administrations are able to make before exit will continue to be able to be made by them after exit. What the Bill does is sets out a mechanism that respects devolution but and lets us maintain the integrity of our own common market as we work out the long-term solutions. I think this is a reasonable, a sensible way forward. The Welsh Government and now the Welsh Assembly, including Labour and Liberal Democrat members of the Welsh Assembly, agree with that. I think it is right that, that we go ahead with measures which not only respect devolution but also ensure that we maintain the integrity of our common market. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister wishes to respect the Scottish Parliament, then the Prime Minister should respect the vote that took place last night. Mr Speaker, it is very simple. The Tories are seeking to veto the democratic wishes of the Scottish Parliament. This is absolutely unprecedented. If this Government forces through the legislation without the consent of the Scottish Parliament, the Prime Minister will be doing so in the full knowledge that they are breaking the 20-year-old devolution settlement. Will the Prime Minister reassure the House that the withdrawal bill will not go through without the consent of the Scottish Parliament? I say to the right honourable gentleman, of course we're disappointed that the Scottish Parliament has not granted its consent. We've been working hard in recent months to find a way through on this, uh, on this particular issue and on this clause. I think this, if the, the effort that has been put in it has been shown by the fact that the Welsh Government and the Welsh Assembly have given their consent to uh, this bill. And can I, can I just say to the right honourable gentleman, uh, we want to ensure the integrity of the United Kingdom's common market. And he might wish to recall the fact, when he talks about the democratic will, that it was the democratic will of the Scottish people to remain in the United Kingdom. This is Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the 12 in-bed provisions.
situation at Rothbury Community Hospital in my constituency was removed without adequate consultation back in September 2016. The Save Rothbury Hospital campaign and I have worked closely together to get transparency on that decision and to return the in-bed provision for our vast and sparsely populated Coke Valley. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the NHS should be investing in community hospitals which can provide that low-level nursing for convalescents and palliative care for my constituents? And will she support our campaign to get it back? Well, can I say to my honourable friend, she's absolutely right to be raising this issue on behalf of her constituents in the way that she has. I understand this issue is being considered currently by the Independent Reconfiguration Panel, who will then advise uh, my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary. As uh, the issue is under an independent review at the moment, I'm sure she will recognise that I won't go into further detail on the specific, but on the general point, I do wholeheartedly agree with her. Community hospitals are a vital part of the range of services that we want to see in our NHS. Why is it that over half of young people referred for specialist mental health treatment by their GP are not receiving care? The Honourable Lady will know that we have been doing much to improve the facilities of treatment for those people with mental health problems. We are putting more money, we're putting record levels of money into mental health. We're also making a number of uh, changes, for example, increasing uh, training teachers and other members of staff in schools to better identify mental health problems among young people and to ensure that those can be properly dealt with. Is for us to do? Yes, there is, because for too many years in this country, government after government did not treat mental health problems in the way that they should have done. We have recognised earlier the need to raise awareness of mental health issues, and what this government is doing is putting more money, more facilities in to ensure that those with mental health problems are properly treated and given the treatment that they deserve. Through. Labour Police and Crime Commissioner is advertising for two new members of staff at a combined cost of over £90,000, whilst also increasing his council tax preset. Given that this will take the Commissioner's office up to 19 staff, excluding both the Commissioner and his deputy, which is actually more than the number of police officers in Arrowash, does my right honourable friend agree that Labour again prioritising jobs for the boys over brave boots on the ground? absolutely agree with my, uh, my honourable friend, and as she will know, we have protected these funding since 2015. For 2018-19, including council tax, there will be an additional £460 million uh, investment available to uh, policing. And we've been able to do that because of the balanced approach we've taken to our economy. But as she points out, it's uh, police and crime commissioners that are locally accountable for the decisions that they make. And my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise uh, this issue and the decisions made by her local police and crime commissioner on behalf of her constituents. Mr Speaker, figures released by the OECD on the 27th of April show that inward investment into the UK in 2017 slumped by 90% in comparison with 2016, which is one of the largest one-year drops in foreign direct investment in any country ever recorded. It's crystal clear that if this downward trend continues, it will have a catastrophic impact on steel and the other manufacturing and services industries that are the lifeblood of our economy in Aberavon, in Wales and in the UK. In order to reverse the profound market uncertainty that that has caused FDI to plummet in this way, Will the Prime Minister now confirm that she is prepared to keep an open mind on our country rejoining EFTA and remaining in the EEA 
And will she also recognise the fact that there's a strong and cross-party consensus for an... Uh, I'm sorry, but members really do need... I mean, it's an extremely important question, but members really do need to be sensitive to the fact that lots of other people are wanting to ask questions. The Prime Minister. Um, thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I just say to the honourable gentleman that he look, if he looks at what we have seen in the past few months, we have seen company after company announcing investment in this country, which is leading to more jobs in this country. Yes, as we look ahead to leaving the European Union, we do need to ensure that our customs arrangements will meet those three tests that I set out earlier, an independent trade policy enabling us to do trade deals around the world, as frictionless as possible a border with the EU, and to ensure no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. That's exactly what the Government is working to produce. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As we approach the first anniversary of the Grenfell Tower tragedy, I'm sure the, the thoughts of the whole House are with the victims and their families. Very sadly, far too few of the survivors have actually got a permanent home to call their own. In advance, in advance of Jane du- Judith Hackett's review, long-promised review of building regulations, can my right hon. Friend update the House on the work that the Government has done to ensure that buildings across the UK are safe of similar design to Grenfell Tower, so we don't have a repetition of that terrible tragedy. Well, can I say to my honourable friend that our thoughts as we approach the anniversary of the appalling tragedy that was the Grenfell Tower fire, our thoughts are with the victims and survivors and all those affected by that tragedy. He refers to rehousing. There are 210 households in total in need of a new home, uh, and uh, I understand that 201 households have accepted an offer of either temporary or permanent accommodation. But on the issue of uh, the safety of buildings, the Fire and Rescue Services have visited over 1,250 high-rise buildings, and immediate action has been taken to ensure the safety of every resident. Councils and housing associations must remove dangerous cladding quickly, but paying for these works must not undermine their ability to do important maintenance and repair work. And I've worked closely with my right honourable friends, the Chancellor and the Housing Secretary, and I can today confirm that the Government will fully fund the removal and replacement of dangerous cladding by councils and housing associations, estimated at £400 million, and the Housing Secretary will set out further details later this week. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I too wish to join honourable members in paying tribute to Tessa, an amazing woman, politician, and a friend. Some remember the Olympic Games as Tessa's crowning achievement. But those of us closest to her know that was not what she was most proud of. In the week, the government can find £50 million for grammar schools. Can the Prime Minister commit to funding? Finding funding for Tessa's proudest achievement as a true memorial should start. Can I say to uh, the honourable gentleman that we all recognise the significant contribution uh, that the late uh, Baroness Jowell uh, played, both uh, her various roles that she undertook in government and the various issues that she, the various issues that she uh, championed. As Remain Sure Start, Sure Start centres remain a key part of delivering the best start in life for every child. But we've also built on that legacy by introducing 15 hours of free childcare for disadvantaged two-year-olds and 30 hours of free childcare for three- and four-year-olds. And just as importantly, we're focusing on quality, 
uh, with 94% of early years providers now rated good or outstanding. The result is a record number of children being ready for school. We will continue to work to ensure that every child gets the best start in life. Order. In warmly welcoming him back to his place, I call Mr Owen Patterson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would like to register my heartfelt thanks to all the staff at the Midland Centre for Spinal Injuries at the Robert Jones and Agnes Hunt Hospital in my constituency. Without their extraordinary skill, professionalism and simple human kindness, I would not be here today. Mr Speaker, the House of Commons Library confirms estimates that 63% of the members of this House represent constituencies that voted Leave. Does the Prime Minister Minister agree with me that should those members not support her by voting for her programme of taking back control by leaving the single market, the customs union, any customs union, and the remit of the ECJ, they will be denying the democratic vote of their constituents and do lasting damage to our democracy. Can I say, first of all, to my right honourable friend, that I am happy to join him in commending the work of all at the Midland Centre for Spinal Injuries, and we are very pleased to see my right honourable friend back in his place here in this chamber. Uh, Can I also say to him that he is absolutely right. What this government is doing is delivering on the vote of the British people, which was to leave the European Union. And as we do that, we will ensure that we get the best Brexit deal for the United Kingdom. And it is important, and I consider it to be a matter of the integrity of politicians, that having given the choice to the British people, we should then deliver for them on that choice. This afternoon, 1,000 handwritten letters will arrive at Downing Street asking the Prime Minister to personally intervene in the stalemate between NHS England and the drug company Vertex to get cystic fibrosis drug, or can be, issued to patients in the UK without delay. One of those letters is from Louis, who is seven. He says, Please, Mrs May, can you give or can be to me so I will feel better and won't have to spend so much time in hospital? What's the Prime Minister's response? Will she? I say to the Honourable Lady that she is raising a very, very important issue, and obviously cystic fibrosis is a terrible life-limiting condition. It's absolutely right that patients should have access to cost-effective innovative medicines and technologies. I know this is an issue that has been taken up by members across this House, as uh, she knows that there is, on, as she's referred to, there is ongoing dialogue between NHS England and Vertex. I'm keen to see a speedy resolution to those negotiations. I understand a number of members have asked to see me about this issue, and I'm happy to do that. Giles Watling. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, The freedom of the press was upheld in a series of votes in this place last week. Um, Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it's still important to hold newspapers' feet to the fire on standards, and will she join me in in encouraging further progress in this area? say to my honourable friend, he's absolutely right. I mean, this House has voted to uphold the freedom of the press. That is an important underpinning of our democracy. Of course, we expect high standards from our press, and as he will know, arrangements have been put in place to uh, ensure that, that there is that, uh, that uh, uh, 
opportunity through various bodies to be dealing with that issue. But I think it is important that everybody in this House is ready to accept whatever. We don't always agree with what the press say, and sometimes what they say is uncomfortable, but their freedom is an important part of our democracy. Thelma Walker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome that the Health Secretary is in listening mode and has referred the plans for downgrading Huddersfield Royal Infirmary back to the Trust. But now is the challenge, Prime Minister. How is your government nationally going to fill the 34,000 nursing vacancies, recruit the 47% of vacancies in GP surgeries, increase funding for community NHS services, fix Kirklees Council's social care funding gap of £9 million a year, and protect our NHS so it's free at the point of use in its 70th year? It remains true and uh, to uphold the principles of the National Health Service. We are putting more money into the National Health Service uh, since November. In fact, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, has announced a further £10 billion going into the National Health Service. I myself have said that we will have a review for a long-term plan for the National Health Service, uh, and that will include multi-year funding. And she refers to numbers of doctors and nurses. We have more nurses and more doctors in our National Health Service today than we did when we came into government. A growing number of university students are struggling with their mental health and tragically suicide has risen among students. My right honourable friend has shown her commitment to mental health among young people with the plans for mental health care in schools. Can I ask my right honourable friend to make the mental health of university students her next priority? Can I say to my honourable friend that she, of course, raises an important point. She says we've put a focus on the mental health of uh, children in schools because we know that a significant proportion of mental health problems will start before uh, a a young child has reached the age of 14. Um, But she makes an important point about university students, and that's certainly something I will look into. Erasmus Plus is the EU programme that's given 600,000 people from the UK the chance to train, study or volunteer abroad for 30 years. Apprentices, students, uh, businesses and workers. The government said that Erasmus Plus is safe till 2020, but made no commitment to keeping it thereafter. It's being forgotten about. Keeping all those benefits, especially for younger people, many in Blackpool, is one thing to unite both leave and remain. So will the Prime Minister make sure Erasmus Plus is now a top-line item for her ministers and give us this pledge today? to the Honourable Gentleman that we have not forgotten about Erasmus or indeed a number of other uh, programmes uh, which uh, give uh, opportunities for universities and students here in the United Kingdom. When we leave the European Union, we have said that there are certain programmes that we wish to remain part of, and Erasmus is one of those that we have cited uh, that we may wish to remain part of. But, of course, we're we're in a negotiation with the European Union, and we will be dealing with these matters in those negotiations. Speaker, you're looking resplendent in your Arsenal tie, may I say. Uh, Mr Speaker, I was fortunate enough to go to Djibouti, uh, an African country with great challenges, which I visited with UNICEF. Mr Speaker, I'm sure everybody in this House would want to see the UK do more with trade in Africa. So given that 485 of us voted to allow the Prime Minister to trigger Article 50, would the Prime Minister agree with me that we should support her leadership support the UK in getting the best deal so that we can trade with Africans and help lift them out of poverty. 
My honourable friend raises a very important point. When we leave the European Union, we will be able to tr- uh, negotiate those trade deals in our interests and not rely on Brussels negotiating trade deals for us. Uh, and we will have that independent trade policy. And certainly, we will be looking to trade deals with a number of countries in Africa. And I took the opportunity at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting to speak to a number of leaders from Africa about just this issue. Sir Kevin Barron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In February 2015, after the publication of the Casey report into CSE in Rotherham, the Prime Minister in her previous role said if resources are needed, they must be provided. But the fusion bid has only received just over 30% of the funding requested. This funding is needed desperately to support survivors of CSE and pursue convictions against the perpetrators. Will the Prime Minister ask the Home Secretary and the Justice Secretary to authorise the rest of the funding as a matter of urgency? The Honourable Gentleman, that obviously we were all appalled at the revelations of what had happened in terms of child sexual exploitation in Rotherham, and sadly what has happened in other parts of the country as well. Um, I will ask the Home Secretary to look at the issue. As the Honourable Gentleman will know, certainly as regards police funding, there are arrangements whereby bids can be put into the Home Office. Those are properly considered and discussed with the uh, police force in question, and decisions taken on that basis. Antoinette Sandbach. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Sharon Holman went through the devastating loss of her teenage son who committed suicide. She is seeking a serious case review by Kent County Council about multi-agency failings that meant he didn't get appropriate mental health support. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week. What reassurance can the Prime Minister give to my constituent and others about the need to assure appropriate mental health support for children and the need to ensure that lessons are learned from this tragic loss. Well, first of all, can I say to my honourable friend that I'm sure the whole house, uh, the sympathies of the whole house, will be with Sharon because no parent should have to endure uh, the agony of burying their child. And can I reassure her that we are absolutely committed to seeing mental health services improve on the ground? That's why we are making an additional, uh, we've committed to making an additional £1.4 billion available to improve children and young people's mental health services. And by 2020-21, we've committed to ensuring that 70,000 more children and young people each year will have access to high-quality NHS mental health care. With regard to the specific case that she's raised, I know that my right honourable friends, the Education and Communities Secretaries, would be happy to look into the detail of that case in order to ensure that lessons are indeed learnt. Dr David Drew. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I've been working with a group of parents who have adult children who were seeking long-term accommodation. They were advised and indeed encouraged to use the support for mortgage interest scheme. Mm. The government has since abolished the scheme and replaced it with a loan. This has caused a great deal of hurt, concern and, dare I say, confusion. Mencap have asked for these group of uh, adult children to be exempted from the changes. Would she meet with me and Mencap and a small representative group of parents to see how we can put right the hurt that has been caused and make sure that these people have the proper accommodation available? Uh, Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that I will look into the issue, specific issue that he has raised, uh, and I will ensure that the appropriate Secretary of State meets with him and discusses this issue with him. Alex Shelbrook. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Russian military naval activity is at its highest in the North Atlantic since the 1980s. Can I ask my right honourable friend to update the House on funding of the Royal Navy under this government? 
Well, can I say to my honourable friend, I'm very pleased to uh, make the House aware, of course, once again of the significant uh, funding that is going into our uh, defence forces, into our armed forces, and including, of course, for the Royal Navy, a significant investment in the uh, ships of the Royal Navy. I'm very pleased to have uh, been able to be on Queen Elizabeth, the new aircraft carrier, which I think is indeed a very fine representation of the commitment that we put to our defence spending. As my honourable friend will know, there is a a modernising defence programme review that is taking place with the Ministry of Defence, the Treasury and uh, Number 10, and uh, we will be looking in due course at any changes that need to be made to ensure that our defence capabilities do indeed uh, meet the threats that we face. We must continue to have the closest possible relationship with the single market if we are to avoid taking a major hit on our economy, but time is rapidly running out for to negotiate a bespoke new deal. What possible reason can there be for her not giving Members of Parliament the earliest possible opportunity to vote in this place on the EEA? Can I say to the Honourable Lady that this House has had and will continue to have many opportunities to debate these issues in relation to the European Union and uh, the United Kingdom's future relationship with the European Union. There will be not only that meaningful vote that has been been promised, but also, obviously, the voting on the uh, EU uh, European Withdrawal Agreement and uh, Implementation Bill that will come before this House and a number of other relevant bills for our Brexit. Four homes across North Yorkshire will be receiving access to superfast broadband thanks to investment from this government and North Yorkshire County Council. Much of that will be connected with fibre direct to the premises. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that fibre represents gold standard broadband and that local authorities must use all their powers to ensure developers install fibre broadband when building new homes? Well, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, of course he raises a very important point, uh, that access to, uh, uh, to superfast broadband is important, not only for individuals, but also for people who are running businesses uh, uh, at uh, home and uh, in his community. And it is important that we look ahead and that when local authorities are putting these arrangements in place, they do so in, uh, put into place the best opportunity for providing for people so that we can see not only people's uh, personal interest in, in accessing broadband being able to be met, but also the interests of the local economy. Stephen Gethins. Mr Speaker, my constituent Jan Steen is an incredibly hard-working Church of Scotland minister who has made North East Fife his home over the past seven years. He's been denied leave to remain because he was temporarily serving the Scots Kirk in Paris. Will the Prime Minister meet with me and the Church of Scotland to discuss this issue? I can say to the Honourable Gentleman, as I am sure the Home Secretary will look carefully at the case and be in touch with the gentleman. Ross Thompson. share my disappointment and regret that we did not secure an LCM in the Scottish Parliament and share my concern that Scottish Labour and Scottish Liberal Democrats have become the midwives of the SNP's crusade to tear apart the union, leaving only the Scottish Conservatives as the party in Scotland that wants to get on and make a success of Brexit. 
I say to my honourable friend, I share his disappointment, as I said earlier in response to the right honourable gentleman speaking on behalf of the SNP. Uh, uh, we have worked long and hard with the Scottish Government and with the Welsh Government on these uh, proposals. The Welsh Government and the Welsh Assembly have accepted those proposals. Labour and the Liberal Democrats in the Welsh Assembly voted for those proposals. And I think it is a shame that in the Scottish Parliament um, it was not possible to see that agreement being reached with the Scottish Government. Um, because what we all want to do, as my honourable friend says, is deliver a Brexit that is good for the whole of the United Kingdom. As your dogs! Mr Speaker, uh, following the completion of the boundary reviews uh, work, which is due for completion at the end of this year and which is due to apply to the whole of the United Kingdom, reducing the number of constituencies and members in this House, has the Prime Minister given any further consideration to the resulting increase relatively in the size of the executive in this place? Uh, and can I urge her not to apply the policy which is currently being applied to Northern Ireland, which is not to have any ministers at all, refuse to appoint any, and allow civil servants to run the place? I say to the right honourable gentleman that obviously we will look at the consequences of the uh, proposals that are being put forward in terms of the number of uh, elected members of Parliament in this House. I wish to see ministers in Northern Ireland able to take decisions for Northern Ireland. That depends on us being able to get agreement among the parties, as the right honourable gentleman knows, for reinstating the Northern Ireland executive and allowing the Northern Ireland Assembly to play its full part in the affairs of Northern Ireland. We will continue to work with all parties uh, because I believe that it is in the best interest of the people of Northern Ireland to see that devolved executive reinstated. In this year of all years, millions of people will wish to remember the sacrifices of our servicemen and women in conflicts around the world. But in my constituency, Hillmorton branch of Royal British Legion tell me there's a danger that their annual parade won't take place because of challenges in arranging road closures. I wonder if the Prime Minister would meet with me to see how this situation and perhaps others across the country might be resolved. Yeah. say to my honourable friend that we absolutely uh, agree that it is right that we commemorate the contribution that British and Commonwealth military and civilian servicemen and women involved in the two world wars and later conflicts have made. And as I understand it, DCMS uh, coordinates the event in London, but of course the Secretary of State for Transport um, perhaps will uh, need to meet with my uh, honourable friend and discuss this matter with him, although I suspect it also involves local authorities and the police in his area, but I would encourage those discussions to take place. We do not want to see any of these commemorative events not taking place because of the lack of arrangements being put in place for them. Speaker, the Lakes Line from Oxenholm to Windermere has seen 160 cancellations in the month of April, and in the first week of May alone, 72 cancellations, risking the potential futures of GCSE students as they're trying to get to school and left stranded, uh, affecting people trying to get to work, and the hundreds and hundreds of people visiting what is Britain's second biggest tourist and visitor destination. Will she join with me in saying that is an outrage? Will she uh, use her office? to ensure that Northern has the franchise removed from them, and will she undo the damage to the Lakes Line by keeping the government's initial promise to electrify that line? I say to the honourable gentleman that my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, is aware of the issue that he has raised. I understand the Department for Transport is working with Northern Rail to identify the nature of these issues and to see a quick resolution of them. Despite 
clear evidence of potentially criminal wrongdoing, our regulators and law enforcement agencies seem unwilling or unable to take action against those at the highest level responsible for the business banking scandals at RBS, at Lloyds and the HBOS. Would the Prime Minister do everything she can to make sure those are held to account regardless of their status, seniority or background? This is an issue that I know he has not only raised today, but he has been a tireless campaigner on it, and he is absolutely right. Small businesses are the backbone of our economy, and it is vital that lessons are learned from what happened at RBS and at HBOS Reading. Um, As he will know, the Financial Conduct Authority has reported that there were areas of widespread inappropriate treatment of firms by RBS. This was unacceptable. Um, He will also know that the events at HBOS Reading constituted uh, criminal activity for which those responsible were brought to justice. But the independent FCA is currently investigating matters arising from both of these cases. I look forward to receiving their conclusions, but it is important that we do ensure that this matter is fully addressed, addressed properly, so that it does not happen again. If, like Jane, the Prime Minister had worked at Sainsbury's, nights at Sainsbury's, for the last 30 years, how would she regard their plans to cut her pay by £2,000 as one of 13,000 people due for a pay cut in 2020? Would she agree with boss Mike Coops that they're in the money? Or would she see it as an insult to Jane's hard work, determination and just about managing? Can I say to the Honourable Lady lady, that we recognise the hard work that many people like her constituent put in day in and day out to our economy uh, to keep that economy going. Um, I will look at the issue that she she has raised, but these are commercial decisions that are taken by uh, the employer and by Sainsbury's. Order. 